the time with Claire. And so she, as I'm using your words, hun, waddling around everywhere. Forgive me for those words. She was waddling around, found her seat up in the, the area where the family sat, proudly waiting for this puffed out parade, looking for her guy. And there was like hundreds of us in this parade um, on this particular day. And um, Felicity was scanning as a three-year-old, looking for dad. And uh, Joy recounts, she goes, I relived this last night again. And, and as Felicity saw dad in the distance and bolted for the parade ground. And as she, three-year-old, races down, someone grabs her by the arm. I'm witnessing this from where I'm marching, trying to keep it together. Because I'm going, what if she breaks through? What do I do? Do I, do I pick her up? Do I, and we were told, definitely, don't do anything. Excuse me, I think I'm clicking. We were told, don't do anything at all. And so here I was in this dilemma. Uh, fortunately, there was a bunch of hedges, and Flick decided as a three-year-old not to go through the gap. A bit like a dad. He tried to tackle the hedge. And so got caught up in the hedge, picked up by another family member, and before they knew it, um, she was back where she was. And I, the whole time, am sitting there just laughing as I'm looking at the scene in my head. But I was very furious, right, because we got the uniform on. And we'd just been drilled for, like, I don't know how many weeks we were drilled for about not what to do and how to do it. And so um, parade happened. She dreamt this last night as she saw all this gear, and I thought, well, you know, I did put you through a lot, didn't I, over my years. Um, and, and that service. But during that time, we learned of stories of Gallipoli, of coming ashore and, and, and where the Anzac legend was, was first seen. And I was so lucky to be blessed to be able to go um, to Gallipoli on my Bible entry tour. It was part of the trip uh, that I went on when I was at college. It was actually, it was a subject, elective subject we got to choose. And before we went, we had to um, prepare an essay and I looked at the long list, and there was like some really good essays there that we could choose from, and um, topics that we could choose from, and I chose Gallipoli. Um, particularly, I wanted to know, because I experienced what it meant to be in the army, I wanted to know, um, what did the chaplains get up to? Because I always wondered that. They were, they were referred to as padres. What did the padres get up to? What did they do uh, in, in when this was all happening? And so I started to research the story, and, and we know the Anzac story is flooded with, you know, mate protecting mate, and, you know, you go out there to fight for that person, not so much for the nation, you are doing that, but you're fighting for the guy next to you, to protect them, to sacrifice your life for theirs. And here I started to read stories of padres, there was, believe it or not, 400 padres that went across to war during World War I, um, and there was a bunch of them that were stationed to go on to Gallipoli. Um, some well-known ones are Fighting Mac. What a name for a padre, Fighting Mac. So <laughs> Fighting Mac was well-known for um, breaking rules. So Fighting Mac would, um, they were told that when they first went ashore, Fighting, Fighting Mac and the Padres were meant to stay on board, but he, he said he didn't have none of this. He actually got ashore um, because he, the first day he knew that casualties were coming in left, right and centre, and he wanted to be with his fellow soldiers to help them. To, to nurture them, to grow them. And, and Padre, Padre went, eventually he snuck on a boat and he got across. 
And there's stories, and I started reading stories of heroic stuff that these guys would do. You know, they, they would perform funerals at night, three o'clock in the morning, because it was the only time they could do it. They, they would be often found uh, going across the trenches with the men and dragging men back, dead or alive. They, 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 were, they were there to also, during the day, to lift people up and to put a smile on the face, to give a warm cuppa. And as the battle raged, and it went on and on, month after month, um, fighting match actually created, the problem that they were discovering is that the higher they got up the cliff face, is that the supplies of food and water was very difficult to get to the soldiers up there because every time they took food and water up, um, people were being shot from a distance. And so there was this constant tension that was going on. Fighting match actually created steps so that they could take the water up and down quickly. Um, he, he would, they were often found ducking across enemy lines to get food and bring back because food was scarce. And there's this one story um, that's told where where uh, this padre, he, he grabbed a couple of men and they went across uh, into enemy territory to, to get a loaf of bread for this soldier that was just saying, I'm so hungry, I could just have some bread right now, that'd be so good. And so uh, as, a, as a, a padre, he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something about this. So he, he gets two men and he goes across enemy lines and it was like, like the trenches were a wall of just a maze of of like enemy and and our outside as well and so he goes across and he gets this left bed and on his way back they take a left turn instead of a right turn and they head directly into this enemy trench and as they go down this line the turkish soldiers see these guys coming and boom shoot the privates in front of him and then from a distance you can hear the captain yell stop 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 as he recognizes the padre do not shoot, do not shoot. And they come over to the padre and, and said, what are you doing over here? You shouldn't be here. He said, oh, uh, my guy back here wanted some bread. And, and so they let him go. And there's stories of this because they were recognized on the battlefield for, her, for heroic things and, and doing things for others. That is so powerful. That is so powerful when you are able to step outside of yourself and do things for others, it's recognized. It may not be seen at first. And in fact, as the Padres came out on the boat, they were teased and harassed because they were non-combatants, because they wouldn't carry a rifle. But on the return leg, it was a far different picture. They were respected and loved for what they did. And as we got, we pulled in by a boat, we came into the shore and down to the little cove of Gallipoli, it astonished me how small the beach land was. How small that beach land was. And how, how, how high the mountain cliffs were. Not working. And how high high the cliffs were. And um, when I, we came down, we, we got up really early one morning. We came down just on dark. And Pastor Wayne French, who was leading us, was delivering an Anzac 
service first on the on the bottom of this 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 cove where they first hit the land, and they've got this brick wall that m- that comes around, and it's got like um, reefs can be laid down, and we laid reefs and we did this ceremony. When the bugle let go, I, I got full of emotions as I thought about my fellow soldiers that have been and where I should have been, and. and and I can remember emotions welling up, and it was just a highlight of my, my trip. And as we, we listened to the stories, and we looked up, the sun started to come up, and I could see behind me this, this hill that was like steep. And I'm going, what? Why would they land here? And it astonished me what they did at this place where they actually lost the battle and the lives that were lost. But the Anzac legend went forward. It was the Anzac legend of sacrificing everything for your mate. And then on the the next part of our trip, we went around a few places and we got into Israel. And probably the second highlight of my trip was the reality, another reality of wars. We went into Israel and Jerusalem and every second person's carrying a, a rifle around, which is quite daunting. We went outside the city and we went to this museum, a Holocaust museum. And we were jovial, we were walking in together as a group of teachers and and future pastors. And as we walked into this museum, it hit us straight away. And this museum curls around, up and down and around. And there's pictures of people, of, of kids, of grandparents. And there's names written everywhere of all those that passed away during... World War II to the hands of the Germans. The Holocaust Museum was all the Jewish people that were slaughtered. And there's hundreds, there's thousands of them. And by the time you weave around this thing, you listen to the stories and you get to the other end and you just go, what? How does a human do that to another human? As you listen to the stories. And we went in happy and jovial and we we come out somber. And the bus trip back was very quiet as we contemplated what war was really about. And and Germany had just nearly tried to wipe an entire race out. Hundreds of thousands, not just men and women, we're talking kids. And the one that got me was a a one-year-old baby right at the end. All in the name of war. All in the name of a piece of land. All in the name of gaining something further for their community. To become a superior race. And then I look at the stories of Japan. And, you know, we all think of Hiroshima and the, and the bomb that was dropped on. But people forget the atrocities that were caused through war. People forget about the death camps that the Japanese had for POW soldiers. And if you came out alive, you were special. People forget about um, the lands around about China and the Philippines and Korea, where they would take women and use them as sex slaves to the Japanese soldiers. People forget about the atrocities. And I look at these two nations, Japan, and I look at Germany today. And Germany has... Like, you've got to take your hands off to what they have done. 
their past is not forgotten. They remember the bad. They actually teach their kids all about the atrocities that their nation created to the Jewish people. They tell everyone about the stories and they have even asked forgiveness from the Israel, from the, from the, for the nation of Israel. They've, they've asked forgiveness to the world for what they have done. And as a result, their country is thriving. And the world gave them that forgiveness. And they are now part of the world of nations. And, and you look at Japan, the other side of it. And you see the different sides of, of how forgiveness works. And you look at the Japanese side, and they're told, and their, and their students are taught all about Hiroshima and what the U.S. did to them through the bombing. But never are they told about the atrocities that were committed by the Japanese soldiers. And as a result, there's this tension that exists in the world of nations with Japan. And they've been invited to come to Pearl Harbor um, for the 50th anniversary. They were invited to come if they would ask for forgiveness for what they had done there. A simple act, right? I'm sorry. But they couldn't do it. Two nations looking at sacrifice and forgiveness in a different way. I look at war, and it's bad. It's real bad. And I'm thankful to this day that my grandfather, who was meant to go off to war and fight because of bad peace, was left at home. And everyone in his battalion died. No one came home. And as a result, I stand here today. Something similar happened to me. I was meant to go to Afghanistan. And fight. But something happened and I didn't go. And I lost two mates. And the rest of them are messed up. War is terrible. Anzac Day is not about glorifying. It's about remembering not to go back in those places. War is inevitable. We see it throughout scripture. Um, there's stories that, that take place as a result of war. We, we see right throughout Scripture, and we see the sacrifice that is made. In fact, when I look at Scripture, I think of, uh, of Elisha comes to mind. And uh, the story of Elisha, um, which is found in 2 Kings chapter 6, um, you can find it for yourself afterwards. I'm just going to like share the story. But Elisha um, is with the king, the king of Israel, but the king of Aram is attacking uh, the Israelite and they were doing it through means of like um, setting traps and trying, to, trying to, to catch them as they come through. And the story speaks how every time that the Israelites were about to come into a trap that the king of Aram had set up, that, um, that they would walk around it or they would get around the other side of it. And the king got really angry. He got agitated. He goes, I must have a spy in the midst of me. And so he goes to his leaders and he goes, there's someone here that is actually sharing where we're traveling to because they keep escaping our traps. And they're trying to, they're trying to take out the Israelites. And then this, they, this guy goes, no, 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 that's not how it's happening. And in fact, he goes on to say that there's this guy, this prophet, Elisha, who keeps telling the king of Israel where you are. In fact, I think the Bible uses the word, he even knows the things that you say in your bedroom. Like, 
Elisha is sharing this with the, with the people and they're just getting away. And so all of a sudden, King of Aram goes, I've got to take this Elisha guy out. I've got to take this prophet out. And so he plans and he finds out and his men come back, his spies come back and said, he's in, he's in Dothan. All right. So they get up and they travel all night. He immobilizes his forces. He gets to Dothan. He surrounds Dothan, which is like not a big city, um, surrounds it. And there's not much like support there from Israel. Israel um, are, are back further. They're away from the state. And um, early morning, a servant rises and he goes out to see what's going on. And the servant comes out and, and, and um, he looks out and he sees this army about to attack and he's afraid. And he calls out, Elisha, Elisha, Elisha. And Elisha comes and, and he goes, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. We outnumber them. And, and the servant goes, are you kidding me? Are you seeing what we're seeing? And then Elisha does something really cool. I love it. There's some really neat um, attachments to grace right in what Elisha does. He prays. He prays to God that the eyes of the servant would be opened. The eyes of the servant. And so he prays his prayer. He goes, Amen. The servant opens his eyes and he can see um, horses and chariots of fire surrounding around them all. And he realizes that God's army is there. He sees it. And then the king of Aram takes his army and starts moving towards Dothan. And then he goes again. Elisha prays again. Dear God. Now, this is different. Close the eyes of the enemy that's coming our way. And so the eyes are like closed, and all of a sudden they can't see what's going on. And then, I love this part of the story, Elisha comes down to the king, and he goes, you're in the wrong place. Follow me, I will lead you to where you will find where you need to go. And so they all follow, not knowing it's Elisha, they follow Elisha, um, back to where the Israel, where Israel is camped. And they bring all the enemy into the camp and, and Israel has surrounded the enemy. And then what does Elisha do? He prays for their eyes to be opened. And so the enemies open up and all of a sudden they realize that they're surrounded. And they're done for. What a crazy story. And then the king of Israel goes, Elisha, Elisha, father, father. We must kill them now. And we get a real picture of grace right at this very moment of sacrificing grace. We get a real picture of it as we see Elisha goes, no, 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 they are POWs now. We must feed them and give them water. And so they create, they, they have a big feast. They feed these guys and then they let them go. Their enemies were handed into their hands. Weird story, right? But I love it. The end result. The end result is much of the same. In fact, it's, it's most likely a better result. Because if they wipe out the enemy in front of them, people at home, I'm sure, would be upset. And it would fire them up to come back one day and attack again. But they, what ends up happening is they go home... And they say, we'll never attack those guys again. 
like we only just got out by the by our bare teeth and so um they live in peace for a while crazy story grace-filled story um when i look at scripture I, I find some key verses and one i often turn to and i think i've shared with this with this with you a number of times in ephesians 2 and verse 8 and if you have your bibles i invite you to open them ephesians 2 verse 8 if you've got your phone open up swipe away Ephesians 2 and verse 8. For you are saved by grace. It's a gift of God. Oh, by the way, Christoph, thank you for texting me. My cowboy jersey is uh, in the final. Where we saw it. All right. I just wanted to say that. Don't mind that. All right. Ephesians 2 8. For you are saved by grace. It's a gift of God given freely. Not that you should boast. Not that you should boast about this gift. But receive it freely and you are saved as a result of that. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. Romans 6 and verse 23. Still well-known text. For the wages of sin is death. You could probably say this. But the gift of God is is eternal life through Jesus Christ. We all deserve death. But there's a gift that's given freely to us. And when I look up this word grace and try to understand what it means, uh, I like to visualize an analogies and I like to come up with illustrations. I like to Google illustrations because that's probably the best way because why reinvent the wheel when it's already out there? And I come, this illustration I come across, which I love to share with you today, to try and explain it. Because the word grace, when you look at the word grace in Greek, really brings out the meaning of it. Um, I think the word, correct me if I'm wrong, many Greek scholars out there who've done that recently, charisa or something like that, charisa, it's C-H-R-I-S-A which is charisma, I think, something like that. Am I right? Quite <laughs> close, yeah. <laughs> I ain't no Greek scholar. <laughs> all right, that word. All right, let's get to the point of what I'm trying to say. I, I've, I don't know how I passed Greek, to be honest. It was only by a gift of God, freely given, that I did. And, and this word, this word this for grace comes with a really cool meaning. And I need, I need help to understand what that means. So I need a volunteer. One person, put your hand here, would like to help me. Come on. I'll take someone from the back who's really unwilling. Uh, I'll take you, Bowden, because I can see you. That's all I can see. <laughs> Some of you, Bowden. All right. So, stand here. So you don't have to do anything. You've got to look pretty, which is easy for you, right? All right. <laughs> all right. So, Bowden... Like when it looks at the word grace, there's two words that come out that, that clearly come out through that, and that is the superior is giving to the inferior. Um, I need another person. Pastor Sarah, can I get you? So, quit doing this anyway. So the superior. No, no, you're the superior. Yeah, superior, and it's not okay. It's not like how we think that you're better than her. All right, that's not what it means. Superior giving to the inferior. It's more like a good um, transaction. So it's, how else do I explain this? It's like, 
a shopkeeper, right? So you're, you've got the goods, all right? You want the goods because you like the shop, right? Yeah, okay. She likes, she likes to shop. Uh, she dreams of shopping. All right, she wants the goods that you've got, all right? So when we look at this word grace, we've got a superior who's got the goods, who can give it. We've got the inferior, um, which is the client, who wants the, wants the goods. Are you with me? And we think of grace in this way. This is how we often think. We think you need to go to here and you need to say, hey, give me the goods. And you go, give me the money. All right. And so there's a transaction that will take place. That's our understanding of grace. That's how, how, we, how we, we often think grace works. But the Greek has another third element that's in between it. The broker, okay? So the broker can make a deal with the superior for the client, the inferior. And so the broker comes, and because you're a shoe, shoe person, check out your shoes that you're going to, so you've got the goods, right? Nice pair of shoes, you can show. So he's got the goods. Now, only, only Nike's the best brand, isn't it? We know this. Yes, okay, in our, okay. So you've got the goods, the superior. You, do you like those shoes? So you want those shoes? Oh, <laughs> what size are they, she asked. <laughs> so you want the goods, right? And, and you want to get the goods, but someone, the broker, even knows that you want the goods and has gone the night before and purchased the goods and he wants to give it to you, to you. Check out the size. It's, it's US 9, right? He knows everything. God knows. He, he knows the sizes that you want, and he brings it, and he gives it to you. This is what Jesus does. He's the broker. You don't have to go and plead and do a heap of things to receive the goods for the price of it. Jesus has already made the sacrifice and he's given it to you freely. And by the way, they're your shoes. They are. They're your shoes. Did you see the look? They're hurt. Open them up. They're your shoes. Your color, your size. Do you see the look? That's what grace is. That's what grace is. Are you all right? Don't cry. No. I know, she's a crier, so. <laughs> but that's what grace is. And you, in Ephesians 2 verse 8, Romans 6.23, all you had to do was just say, broker, I love you. And he thinks the night before and brings the gift of Christ. How cool is that? How, yeah, come on. You know to Jesus, right? Because he's the one that hung on a tree for you. He sacrificed his life so that you could get the Nikes. Well, you know, in the United States. All right, grab a seat. Give him a round of applause. They're yours to take. I, I chose Pastor Sarah because I knew that she would react like that. Because <laughs> I needed it, right? She had no idea. In fact, we did a little stealth mission yesterday. Um, to find out her size. Can I share this, Pastor Neil? 
So Pastor Neil said, what size is Pastor Sarah? I don't know. <laughs> All right, mate, I've got to go and buy these shoes now. You've got to find out. So we send Lockie up to check out your wardrobe and discovers that you're a US 9. And we went off and did other Europe. So this is what Jesus does. And as humans, we sit here at church week in, week out, and we try to be the superior and inferior, and we try to broker, be the broker as well, and buy our way to heaven. We try and work our way to heaven. But he don't want that for you. He sent a broker, and all you have to do is believe. That's it. easy yeah it is that's grace that's grace the sacrifice of grace is that and when we look back at our our two nations Germany and Japan it was given to Germany and believe it or not it was actually given to Japan so they're recognized even though to this day they still haven't really come out and formally apologized. There's been apologies here and there. That's what grace is. Grace forgives. And God wants us to understand that, that that sacrifice is how we live for each other. How we live for each other. So in Callan, you steal Ethan's girlfriend. And Ethan, you want to you punch him in the nose, right? The grace of God. And Callan, sorry, Callan. <laughs> I should be saying sorry to Ailey. <laughs> my bad. But my point is, is that someday Callan comes to Ethan and says, forgive me. And Ethan goes, But because of the grace between the superior and inferior and the broker, we have to display that same grace. It is our job to say, okay, yes, even though it's super duper hard. And Ethan has to bite his tongue every time he goes around Cullen and hold his hands behind his back so he doesn't job him in the nose. But that's what grace does because we've all messed up. None of us are here perfect. I thought I was perfect a long time ago. I thought that I was the superior. I thought I was the broker. And the way to the superior was through my work. And the way to the superior was by making sure that everybody else come along on the journey and were the same way as that I was. I was a materialistic idea of God. And I wanted to be the broker. And in that walk, I hurt people like my good friend now, Pastor Wayne French, as he stood in front of a session and I got up and said, this guy has to go because he's playing 2-4 beat in the youth tent and, and he's taking all the youth to hell. And so we have to get rid of him. See, grace doesn't do that. 
Christ of God says that about me. Grace doesn't do that. And I rocked up to college some years later and walked into college and walked past the door and I saw this name, Pastor Wayne French. A flood of memories came back to my early journey. Don't get caught up in being the, the broker in the relationship. Don't get caught up in it. And I walked into Pastor Wayne French's office and I sat down and he looked at me and he smirked as Pastor Wayne can. And he says, G'day, Rick. And I went, you remember me? And he goes, yes, I do. I remember you. And, and I said, mate, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. And without even the very next words, Pastor Wayne said, you don't have to ask forgiveness. It's okay. It's, it's, it's all okay. And that is the picture of grace. I tried to destroy his career and his life. And yet he just turned around and said, Imagine, church, if we did that to each other. Our, our movement would be so, so strong that people would want to have what we have. If, imagine if you came to church and, and no one talked about anybody else. Imagine if you came here and you knew that you could talk to anybody and be trusted that that would stay there. Imagine a church like that. Imagine a, a, a life like that. And I want to say to you that Jesus, the broker, is working on that because he has the gift of salvation for each and every one of you. We're all messed up. We all make mistakes. Let's offer grace and the sacrifice of grace where it's due. My challenge can't leave today without a challenge. That's a rule. My challenge for you today, will you accept this picture of grace between the inferior, the inferior and the superior with Jesus at the center, the broker, giving you the gift? Or will you take back the gift and push the broker aside and try and find the gift yourself? I want to tell you they're two different walks. And if you want to be free today, if you want acceptance with God straight away, believe that he can give it to you. And let the broker do his job. Let him clean up the church. Let him clean up the world. Because he will one day. And you just live in that space. Be still. And know that I am God. Will you today, here, accept that gift of grace? The broker sacrificed it for you, each and every one. And all you have to do is say yes. Heavenly Father, God of the universe, you're an amazing God. You know the atrocities that have been committed all over the world in the name of war and peace. You know um, the trouble that we are all in as a, as a people and a nation and even as a church at times. Lord, may we trust that you will clean this up. May we leave it with you.
May we accept your gift of grace and freely take that today so that we can walk with you forever. May each and every head here today accept that challenge, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.